Hey, we're starting a brand new sermon series. Some of you old folks kind of caught on to that. Some of you young ones have no clue what I just did. Well, bear with me and maybe Google it. Maybe look it up. You'll find out what I just did. Today we're starting a brand new sermon series called Won't You Be My Neighbor? Won't You Be My Neighbor? Some of you remember the guy that kind of coined that phrase years ago with a show that he had. Won't you be my neighbor? Actually, the, the signage and everything else kind of gave it away, but his name was what? Mr. Rogers. Mr. Rogers had a whole lot to say about being a good neighbor in this world. The truth is, you may not realize this or not, but Mr. Rogers didn't come up with that phrase, okay? Jesus actually did. A long time before Mr. Rogers ever was born, Jesus had a lot to say about being a good neighbor. Well, this morning and through this sermon series, we're going to take a look at what Jesus is actually talking about when he talks about being a neighbor, and especially a good neighbor. But first, let me start out by saying, if you've ever watched the President of the United States deliver the State of the Union address, sometime during his uh, speech, he looks up into the balcony and he points out some ordinary person and basically identifies them as a national hero. Ronald Reagan actually came up with this custom years ago when he pointed out a man by the name of Lenny Skutnik. Maybe you don't remember Lenny Skutnik, but Lenny Skutnik at the time was just an ordinary Joe, an ordinary guy that was a federal worker in Washington, D.C., until one day Lenny was walking down the sidewalk, minding his own business, when Florida Air Flight 90 actually crashed into the Potomac River. It was on its way from Washington, D.C. to Florida, and it had ice on its wings. The ice was so heavy that it crashed and made, made the plane crash into the Potomac River, barely clearing the 14th Street Bridge. Well, all of a sudden, hundreds of passengers found themselves swimming in the icy waters of the Potomac River. A helicopter, rescue helicopter, soon showed up, dropped down a ladder, but the problem was it could only rescue one person at a time. And there was this one particular lady that was really struggling. She was so cold and frozen that she couldn't even lift her arms out of the water to reach up and take a hold of the ladder. Well, all the bystanders on the bridge were cheering her on, encouraging, uh, encouraging her not to give up. Don't quit. Well, Lenny Skutnik did one better. He decides he's going to break through the police barricade, and he dives into the icy river and swims out to the woman and drags her back to shore. Otherwise, she would have drowned. She was most certainly going to drown without his help. Well, Ronald Reagan that night looked up in the crowd, pointed to Lenny Skutnik, and declared him a hero. And with that said, I wonder what Jesus would have declared Lenny that night. I think he would have declared him a hero, but I also think he would have declared him a neighbor, a good neighbor, actually a good Samaritan. Do you realize that being a good neighbor is risky? Do you know that being a good neighbor takes commitment and there's a lot of risk to it? Being a good neighbor isn't as easy as we think sometimes. But today... Jesus actually was the first one to talk about the Good Samaritan. He originated the phrase, the Good Samaritan. So today we're going to look at a story he tells in a parable in Luke chapter 10. Today we're going to focus on, I want you to get this down, we're going to focus on one question, who's your neighbor? Do you ever think about that? Who's your neighbor? And I'm talking about someone, not just a person next door, amen? Who's your neighbor? What does that really mean? Today I'm going to walk through verse by verse of this text 
to see what Jesus has to say about us being a good neighbor. Verse 25 in Luke chapter 10 says, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. He stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And keep in mind right here, Jesus doesn't quibble with this guy over the contradiction that's really in this question. I mean, think about it. You and I know that we can't do anything to inherit a gift, right? We can't do anything. And eternal life is actually a gift that we inherit from God. Think about it on the natural level. When somebody dies and leaves you something, it's an inheritance, right? It's an inheritance. We didn't work for it. We didn't earn it. We didn't do anything to deserve it. They freely gave it to us. With that said, I would say that inheritance is based on relationship. Amen? Not on achievement. It's based on relationship. But in this text, Jesus doesn't immediately jump down this uh, lawyer's throat for asking him this contradictory question because he actually knows why that lawyer's there. He actually knows why he's got a whole bunch of religious people behind him. They sent this lawyer to actually trip him up, to actually trick him into saying something that they could use against him. And they also, the religious people, found Jesus' teaching not to their liking. They thought it actually contradicted the interpretations of the laws of Moses. So they resented Jesus. And you know why they resented Jesus? Because he acquainted himself. He hung out with the people that they resented. They were mad at Jesus for hanging out with, they would say, the low lives of society. So what they did, they finally got fed up enough, they decided... We're going to plot to take him down, either by disgrace or by death. And they thought the best way to do that would be to get him to slip up and say something that we could use against him in court as evidence. And think about this. Who would be better suited for that than a lawyer to come and trick, uh, give him a trick question? That's how it's all set up. But look how Jesus responds to this lawyer in verse 26. What is written in the law, he replied, and how do you read it? Did you notice that Jesus kind of reversed the roles on this guy? The questionee became the questioner. But this strategy didn't really trip this guy up. Not at all. Because he gave a brilliant answer. He says, uh, to inherit eternal life, and he pulls out Deuteronomy 6.5 that says, I need to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And then he continues on and hooks up Leviticus 19 verse 18 to it and says, then love your neighbor as yourself. I'd say that's a pretty brilliant answer, right? And you know why it's brilliant? Because Jesus already said it. Jesus hooked these two Old Testament uh, scriptures uh, up together earlier in Matthew chapter 22 when he had some critics coming against him. So Jesus was the first to link these two together. So with that said, I'm thinking, well, this, uh, this lawyer didn't just simply come up with this himself. He's actually repeating something that he said uh, that he actually heard Jesus say earlier. So combining these two Old Testament scriptures together shows us that our relationship with God is actually inseparable from our relationship with other people. That's how I interpret that. That our relationship with God is inseparable from loving other people. You know, you can't be in a love relationship with God and not love other people. Do you realize that? You cannot be in a genuine relationship with God and not love other people. I think our love for people ought to be actually an overflow coming out of our lives from our love for God. How many would agree with that this morning? Amen? Matthew chapter 25, Jesus said it best when he said, whatever you did to the least of these, you have done unto me. Remember that scripture? Whatever you've done to the least of these, you've done unto me. He's saying the way that you love others is how you love me. 
I remember reading about a reporter that uh, went over to see uh, Mother Teresa in Calcutta, India. He couldn't understand how Mother Teresa could have sh- such a passion and compassion for the poor in the slums of Calcutta. So he goes over and he asked her, Mother Teresa, how do you and your fellow nuns do it? How do you deal with these people every day? On a day-in, day-out basis, these people that are lepers with running sores that are contagious, these people that are emaciated, these people that many times are laying in their own vomit, their own feces, hours from death, how do you do it? And I loved her answer. She says, well, we start out by meditating on Jesus. And then we go out and look for him in disguise. Think about that. We start by meditating, focusing on Jesus, and then we go out and look for him in disguise. Authentic love actually sees people the way God sees people. Amen? Authentic, real, genuine love sees people the way God sees people as his sons and his daughters, not just simply others. They are fellow image bearers of the image of God. Amen? With eternity written upon their hearts. You know, in in the scriptures we've read so far even, God is basically saying, you need to love me and love so-and-so. What do we come up with sometimes is, God, one thing at a time. Help me to start loving you first. Help me to start loving you more. And you know what God's answer to that is? I'll help you love uh, me more. And it starts by loving others more. Amen? Start loving that person that's across the uh, street from you. Start loving that person that lives next door. Start loving that person that you work with, that you go to school with. Start loving that person. Throw some love their way. Jesus is basically saying, you want to know how to keep my commands? Start loving people. That's how you keep my commandments. Verse 28, you have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. This lawyer should have stopped right there while he was ahead and walked away, but he didn't. He had one more question. Look what it says in verse 29. But he watched, but he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Notice the lawyer asked this question not genuinely because he was looking for answers and he wanted to learn. He, looked, he asked this question because he wanted to actually be justified. He wanted to justify his own actions. He's saying, Jesus, who's in and who's out? Jesus, who deserves my love and doesn't deserve my love? And with that said, Jesus tells, uh, tells this story And I'll say he draws the circle way bigger than these people could ever imagine to the point where it doesn't just challenge the audience, it actually is scandalous to the audience. He says in verse 30, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. I believe Jesus deliberately set this story up in a familiar place that all of his audience would have recognized, this 17 to 18 mile downhill trek that was known to be very dangerous. For one thing, it descended 3,300 feet in only 17 miles. So that tells you it was a mountain range with jagged hills, jagged cliffs, a lot of caves, narrow passes. And the thing about this piece of uh, ground in this passage was a lot of people traveled by it. And a lot of people went through these narrow passes and guess who hid in the caves? Robbers and thieves who could easily come out and attack the people, could steal their goods, could actually do worse than that. But it says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho When he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. So let's just say the predictable happened. Amen? I mean, he was in a place, they were in a place that was going to happen. It happened. But they didn't just take his wallet. They took his clothing. They took everything. They left him there to die. So I think we'd all agree that this guy's in a pretty desperate place in his life. But look at verse 31. I'm thinking there's some hope coming. A priest happened to be going down the same road. 
wow, stroke of luck, right? Maybe not. And when he saw the man, he, the priest, passed by on the other side. I'm thinking, hold on, time out. If there was anybody that, that uh, you would have thought would have stepped up and, take care of, and taken care of this situation, it would have been the religious guy, right? It would have been the priest. It would have been this guy that's out there giving and serving his life by serving God. This guy would have been the guy that I would have wanted to come along if I was uh, bleeding and dying in a ditch. But this priest actually comes along and shows hardly any, if any, compassion for this guy bleeding in the ditch at all. We might just say, how in the world could he do that? Let me just say this, many of us, how many times have you remembered when you were in a time of need, the people you thought would help you didn't help you? Think about that. We've probably all been there on uh, some level or another. You thought they were your friends. You thought as soon as I get in a hard spot, as soon as I get in a trouble, uh, troubled place in my life, they're going to show up, get me out of it. They might show up, but they just walk on by. How many know that's hurtful? How many know that's painful? And a lot of us can relate to that on some level. Hopefully we're not on the level that man was in the ditch, but on some level. But I want to expand the question this morning. What about this question? Think about this. What about people that you and I have walked by? What about the people that you and I have ignored, not wanting to get involved with? What about hurting people that are around us? Have you stopped? Have you paused? Have you taken a moment to inconvenience yourself to help somebody else? I think when you read this story, it's kind of hard for us to put ourselves in the place of the priest and think a priest would do that. But I think for a lot of us, we've done the same thing. We kind of blame the priest, but we've kind of done the same thing. A lot of us, I think, judge people differently than we judge ourselves. We do it in a lot of areas of life. And a lot of times we think we're better than other people. We may not admit it, but our actions actually show it. Listen to what David Dunning, a psychologist at Cornell, said. He said, we judge other people based on external traits and circumstances, but we judge ourselves based on our intention, our efforts, and our desires. What's that mean? I think it means that we judge uh, others a whole lot harsher than we judge ourselves. Think about it. I think it's true. Back in the day when Jesus was telling this story, to kind of give you a little more information on why he's telling this story in the first place, there were three temple servants, three main temple servants. You had, number one, the priest. He was the highest. Then you had the Levites, and then you had what they call the wise Jewish layman. That was kind of their order of importance. But if you notice in the story, Jesus starts out with the highest one, right? He starts out with the priest because he was the high, highest echelon of their society in that day. And if you didn't know this, priests actually back in that day, and I found this out, they served in like two-week shifts so evidently, this priest was just finishing his shift, going home. He's performing, been performing tasks in the temple, maybe making sacrifices for the people, offering prayers for the people. And this priest is probably riding on a donkey because the higher priest got to ride the donkeys in those days. And remember, he's going down the road, and there's this dead, bleeding, half-dying man in the ditch. And he comes along and really doesn't get all that close, but he looks at the man in the ditch and decides within himself, and I'm kind of using my imagination, but I think he's thinking, I don't want to inconvenience myself. I don't want to embarrass myself by actually touching a dead body and making myself ceremonially unclean. I think with that attitude, he's choosing ceremony over service. Amen? Think about it. He's choosing his position, his title, what's convenient, what's comfortable for him over service. 
And have you ever realized when there's an opportunity for you and I to help somebody in need, maybe a brother, maybe a sister, maybe a neighbor, maybe even an enemy, there's always going to be complications. Have you found that out? Always complications when you try to help somebody. There's always going to be reasons why you should have, could have, and didn't. Amen? There's always going to be reasons to come up why you didn't step out and help take care of that need. Verse 32. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. So just to give you a heads up on the Levite, he's not just somebody that goes around wearing Levi's, okay? Just a thought. He would have been an assistant to the priest. So he's following the priest, basically. He's finishing his two-week shift. He's going home, and he knows the priest has already been there, and he's following the priest, and he's thinking, well, the priest is supposed to show all of Israel the way. But it does say that he got closer to the man than the priest did. So I'm believing that he recognized this man is not dead. He still walks on by. He still doesn't take care of the man. He keeps going right on by. I'm thinking he's thinking, well, wait a minute. The priest has already been here. He's deemed this unworthy of us getting involved. So I'm off the hook. He kind of uses that as his excuse. Jesus isn't done. The audience knows his story, and he, they know that there's a third character coming. And remember the order, the priest, the Levite, and the Jewish layman. They're thinking the next character in the story is going to be the Jewish layman. The Jewish layman's going to save the day. Jesus doesn't even mention this wise Jewish layman. He goes immediately and brings up their enemy. He brings up a Samaritan onto the scene, into the story. Let me just say to say that Samaritans and Jews were uh, enemies would be an understatement. That would be an understatement. The Jews literally despised the Samaritans. And the reason they despised the Samaritans is because they thought of the Samaritans as a half-breed uh, race of people resulting from intermarriage between Jews and Gentiles uh, who, who actually were left after Jerusalem was captured. They, were cons they weren't considered pure Jews, clean Jews, or even real Jews. They were actually seen as secondhand, watered-down, inferior race of people. And actually, I believe they reminded the Jews of probably the most humiliating and embarrassing moment in their nation's history. So you've got these Samaritans that are actually the result of Jews that didn't hold true to their heritage. That's what these people are thinking. But had relationships with Gentiles and produced these half-bloods when they were captured. Not only were they looked down for their heritage, I know I'm giving you a lot of information, but this has to be told in the story to put it all together. Not only were they looked down for their heritage, they were looked down because they didn't worship in Jerusalem like the Jews did. They didn't have the same customs. They didn't have the same traditions. Yes, they agreed with the first five books of Moses, but they didn't go by any of the rest of the writings of the Jewish prophets. I said all that to say that the hostility was so great between the Jews and Samaritans that a Jewish person would have been considered ceremonially unclean if they would have even touched a cup that a Samaritan drank from. It was that bad. So what does Jesus do? He makes their enemy, this Samaritan, the hero of the story. I mean, he makes him the Lenny Skutnik of the story. Think about that. Verse 33, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring in oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. I would say this Samaritan is using every available resource uh, 
that he has. I would say this Samaritan is actually putting himself out there, putting his life in danger. Can you imagine a Samaritan walking into a Jewish town with a half-dead, naked man on the back of his donkey? Let's just say that might have been a little bit risky. But this Samaritan, he steps right into the middle of danger. He puts himself out there. He puts himself right in the midst of it all. Verse 35, the next day he took out two denarii, or two silver coins, and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three, Jesus says to the lawyer, do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell among, in the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. I think it's pretty amazing that the lawyer comes to him in the first place to try to trick him and trap him and ask him this question, who's my neighbor? Jesus never really answers the question, but he flips things upside down and he poses the question back to the men. Which of these three was a neighbor to the man? Listen to what John uh, MacArthur, a great man of God, once said. He said, of a, he said, instead of asking who qualifies to be your neighbor, let's talk about the quality in which you love your neighbor. Instead of asking who qualifies for, to be my neighbor, let's talk about the quality in which you love your own neighbor. And if you're ever, ever even asking the question, who qualifies to be my neighbor? Who qualifies for me to love? Let me just say you're going to have a hard time filling any of God's commandments because it's not about who qualifies. It's about the true character of your love. It's about the true genuineness of your love toward other people. So how do we neighbor well? How do we become a good neighbor? I'll give you three practical things if you're taking notes. The first one is don't be afraid to help. How many times are we actually fearful of helping someone? We pass by on the other side many times. And you know why? I think a lot of times we think their need's going to exceed our resources. We think it's going to cost us too much. We think it's, we don't have the time. We don't have the money. We don't have the resources. And I think sometimes we flat out fear that meeting their need is going to leave us needy. And it might. But how many times do we as Christians talk about compassion? Being compassionate for people? I'll just tell you this. Anytime you're put out there and God puts somebody across your path to meet their need, it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you your time, your energy, your resources, whatever. And how many have found out working with other people's needs is messy sometimes? It gets messy. It gets awkward sometimes. Investing in the lives of hurting people is going to definitely change your calendar. It's going to change your schedule. And crossing to the right side of the road to give the help, a lot of times requires denying yourself. You realize that? And I'll take it a step further. It, requi it requires dying to yourself. Starting to walk like Jesus walked. And believe it or not, when you encounter somebody in need, sometimes you're going to walk into the awkward. You're going to walk into the messy. But guess what might be on the other side of that awkward and messy? The awesome. The awesome plan that God has for you as a good neighbor to make a difference. The second thing, to be a good neighbor... Number two is share your life. Don't keep it to yourself. Share your life. What would you have done that day in this story? Would you have done what the Samaritan did? I mean, think about it. What do you do when God asks you to change your busy, almost unchangeable schedule, inflexible schedule? What do you do? Do you shift your agendas around? Do you shift your, your timetable around, your calendar around to help others? Or are you too busy? Let me just say this this morning. If you're too busy to reach out, and I say this with all politeness I can, you're too busy. 
If you're too busy to reach out to help someone in need, I think at that moment we need to pray and ask God, help me start acting like you, God. Help me to start thinking like Jesus thinks so that I don't miss another opportunity to help someone in need. I remember shortly after Cheryl and I were married years ago, uh, she took a job working for Carl Clinic in their offices in Champaign. And on her morning break, uh, she was sitting there enjoying a book that she was reading, kind of enjoying her little break time, and she noticed out of the corner of her eye a woman that was very upset a few chairs down. And Cheryl said at first, just being honest, I was just kind of trying to ignore her. I wanted to finish a few more pages in the book. But guess what? God spoke to Cheryl's heart. He said, if you want to serve me, your time is not your own. If you want to serve me, your time is not your own. And instead of ignoring him, she got up and she went over to the lady and she started speaking to the lady. The lady poured out her heart. She started crying. Cheryl was able to have prayer with this woman. Cheryl was actually there and helped encourage this woman. And you know what this woman needed? Was to know someone in that office cared. That was what she needed to know more than anything else. I believe a lot of us as Christians have the attitude that when we see an area that needs service, we think it's somebody else's job. We think it's the pastor's job, the youth leader's job. We think it's somebody else's job to take care of. I believe that's the attitude that we have too many times. We have the attitude that if I help them, it's going to inconvenience me. I understand that we're all busy. We have families to tend to. We have jobs to tend to. Life gets busy. But I'll just say if we as Christians don't make time and effort and energy and provide resources for those in need, our priorities are messed up. Our priorities are really messed up. Service is a sacrifice. Loving someone is a sacrifice. And I think that flies in the teachings of Christianity and the attitude of this world for the most part. So number one, number two, don't keep your life to yourself. Share your life. And number three, if you're still taking notes, put action with your compassion. Put an action with your compassion. Jesus asked this lawyer an obvious question. Look at verse 36. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? I think we'd all say the answer is pretty obvious. I mean, this Samaritan that showed so much love, care, and kindness and gave of his resources proved himself to be the loving neighbor. And I believe this man in the ditch, his life was never the same because of the love, care, and resources and the love of God that this Samaritan showed him in his time of need. I read a story about a woman, young lady that was backpacking. She was hiking up uh, a mountain in Colorado. And as she was going up the mountain, she encountered a woman that was hobbling down the mountain. The woman was hobbling because she only had one boot on. And on the other foot, she had a makeshift boot out of, made out of twigs and, and cloth. And she told the lady that was going up the mountain, she says, I lost my boot uh, uh, in a stream up the mountain. And she said, uh, I just hope I can make it down the mountain before dark. And the woman that was going up the mountain without ever even stopping to think just unzipped her backpack, pulled out a sandal and says, hey, I've got a spare sandal. Uh, why don't you try using this uh, to get you down the mountain? And she said, hey, uh, I kind of like these sandals. So, hey, could uh, you just mail it back to me when you get to the bottom of the mountain? Well, about a week later, the sandal came back in the mail with a note says, hey, you know, I met a lot of people coming down that mountain that saw my predicament, but none of them stopped to help me but you. It made all of the difference, she said. Thanks for sharing your sandal with me. You know, the Bible says that real love can be seen. 
Real love can be felt. Real love can be touched. Real love is tangible. And it may be as big as helping someone that's critically injured. It may be as small as giving someone a cool drink of water in Jesus' name, like it says in Mark or in Matthew 10, 42. The truth is you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. You can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. Real love takes action. The Bible says in 1 John 3, 18, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. What's it saying? Don't just love with the words you're saying. Actually take some action. So on the trail of life, what I'm saying is when we encounter the hobblers, how about offering them a sandal in love? How about offering them whatever we can give them to help them through whatever situation they're going through? In this text, I love this. Jesus answered a question with a question, didn't he? The lawyer asked him a question. Jesus turned it around and posed the question right back to him. You know, the very important question that you and I can ask, what do you need prayer about? When you see someone come across your path, maybe it's obvious they're in, in need. Maybe it's not. But ask them, what is it that I can pray for you about? Show them that you care. Show them some love. Let me ask you this. Do you even know the name of the guy that bags your groceries on a week-to-week -week basis? Shouldn't your conversation be more, and Bailey, close your ears, paper or plastic? <laughs> Shouldn't your conversation be more than that with them? How about the person that works across from you at the factory? How about the person that uh, goes to school with you sitting across the aisle at your desk? How about praying? And how about asking the biggest, greatest question of all? What do you have in your life that I can pray for you about? That might be stepping into the awkward. That might step us, bring us out of our comfort zone, and it probably will. And it might even take us into the messy. But sometimes to get to the good neighbor thing, you've got to get a little messy. You've got to get out of the comfortable setting and get into the awkward. So when God brings someone across your path, you remember the question I asked, who's our neighbor? It's anyone that God crosses your path with. That's your neighbor. No matter how inconvenient that is, no matter how irritating, no matter how costly, God expects us as Christians to step up and minister to those people. And as I'm closing, did you notice in this parable that Jesus doesn't even focus on the robbers and the thieves that did all the damage in the first place? He doesn't focus on the sin of action. Guess what he focuses on? The sin of inaction by the priest and the Levite. So my question to everyone in this place today is, where do you find yourself? That's the big question. Where do you find yourself? Are we walking on by? Or are we stopping? Are we pausing? Are we asking them how we can help in showing them the love of God? I believe we need to stop and say, God, help me to see as you see. Help me to see people like you see people, God. Help me to even see things that nobody else is seeing. And then, God, give me strength to step out and take action. Could you stand to your feet this morning? I think we need to pray for God to help us to step out, to actually take action with his strength. Father God, in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray that you would forgive us for any apathy we have in our lives. Father God, for our unwillingness at times to get involved in people's needs. God, I pray that you would bring this scripture to life in our soul today. Father, I pray that we wouldn't be allowed to stay comfortable and secure one more minute, but I ask that you would do a work in our soul. I ask that you would do a work in our spirit that will make a difference in people's lives all around us. God, forgive us of our inaction. Forgive us of the times where we walked on by. 
And God, I pray that we wouldn't just take your word literally, we would take it seriously. And Father God, we would open our eyes to see today what we can do to be the good neighbor that you've called us to be. And Father, I pray that you would give us the courage to step up and take action, to be your hands, your feet, and your heart in this world. Father God, as we leave this place today, help us go out, take this message to heart, and make a difference where we work, where we go to school, where we live in our neighborhoods, wherever we buy our groceries. Wherever we're at, God, use us as good neighbors, as good Samaritans all over this community, all over our communities. And may it be for your glory, praise, and honor in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. It's your job to go change the world. God bless you all.